0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertility the podcast. This is episode 59 called Amy. Okay, guys. So today I am talking to Amy Klein, who you guys might recognize from the New York Times column, Fertility Diary, where she chronicled her journey as she was going through it in real time, her infertility story, and all the stuff she went through, including nine rounds of IVF, four miscarriages, and so on and so on. So now she has a new book out. It's called The Trying Game. Get through fertility treatment and get pregnant without losing your mind. And goddamn, did I wish this book existed when I was going through it. So without further ado, this is Amy's infertility story.
1: Hi, Amy. How are you today? How are you doing, Allie? I'm good. I know you're sitting in your closet recording this. How's that? How's that going? It's very peaceful. I think I'm gonna sit here more often. Hide. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. I'm a huge fan of your the column that used to have in the New York Times. And now you have a new book out about infertility called The Trying Game. So we're gonna talk about all of that, but congratulations on the book. Tell me about what is it like releasing a book right now during this pandemic? That's probably a little tricky.
2: Yeah. You know, in the very beginning in March, when I just started realizing what was going on, it seemed very disappointing because I had to just cancel 10 to 15 events. And it just, you know, it was two years of work that I put into the book. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be like almost like the birth of a baby. You know, you think it's all going to be, even though, you know, people's release is not always what they seem. I had, you know, parties with my friends, parties with my writers groups, a reading at the Strand, a storytelling event, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and promises of maybe press. And then in early March, I just started seeing things about cancellation. And I said, oh, this is not going to happen. And I actually wrote a story for Electric Literature about what it would be like, you know, because I just realized that it just wasn't going to happen. So that was, at that point, it was very disappointing, especially just what, you know, all of our March and April and May was supposed to be different. And this was supposed to be really different for me. And I was waiting for it for a long time. So that was pretty disappointing. Mm Mm-hmm. I am healthy. My family is healthy, even though we're in New York in the middle of the pandemic. We're healthy. Yeah. Where are you guys so, exactly? We're in Harlem. Okay. South Harlem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment with no backyard or anything. She does play Legos for hours on end by herself, but she also does about 15 different princess costume changes. <laughs>
1: I remember that phase with my daughter who's now 10. She went through a big, big, big princess dress-up phase.
2: Exactly. So right now she's in her Ariel costume and maybe in her Ariel wig, which I got her during coronavirus. Love Uh, it. You know... Like, it sounds so weird to talk about, oh, I'm disappointed that my book tour was canceled, but I think there's two levels of grief. You yeah. know, there's the big level of grief with like, oh my God, people are getting sick. There's a pandemic around the world and there's just the grief of loss of normal life. Yeah. And yeah, you know, like just for people going through infertility now, I can't, you know, I always said, oh my God, my. I never thought that my journey was the worst. I've always met people who have had worse journeys than mine. And then I just feel, I felt so bad, you know, and a lot of clinics closed, thankfully now some of them are opening up, but, you know, I spoke to one person for a story and she just said, I feel like God, you know, is telling me really, you're not having a baby because, you know, can you imagine going through infertility and everything goes wrong all the time. And then there's a worldwide pandemic. It just seems like someone up there has a sick sense of humor, you know? So yeah. Totally.
1: But I I think that you definitely are warranted in the grief of like, you know, with the book thing, like this is, like you said, it's two years of your life, you know, so even though it's a different way of promoting it and stuff now, like it's not what you were expecting.
2: Right. And and, right. And that's, that's a good thing. That's exactly infertility too, right? Right. It's not what you were expecting.
1: Totally. (laughs) So let's start at the beginning with you, you know, tell me about what happened when you guys started to try to have kids.
2: So our journey was not, you know, the like. Oh, we started trying. Like, I got married at forty-one, and I was pregnant the week a week later. Like, the first minute I went off birth control, we basically were pregnant, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even sure because I was like, "Oh, I haven't got my period in a while." You know, that innocent, the, those howie halllis on date I don't know how to pronounce it but the halicon days before uh-huh you know, like oh I haven't got my period in a while that's so weird should I take a pregnancy test so at 41 I had my first pregnancy we weren't we were we we had just gone off birth control and before I made it to the doctor I don't even know it could have been five or six weeks I lost it but I didn't think that much of it because it just seemed like a very late period you know I wasn't really that invested in I was like oh I was late to my period, but I probably was about six weeks. And then she told us to take a month off, which is not necessarily the best advice. And we went on our honeymoon and Mm -hmm. then I got pregnant again. And then I lost it. I lost that baby at 10 weeks. And then I started seeing fertility doctors and, you know, started with IUIs and IVF. So our, took us like over, we had like Ten doctors, nine rounds of IVF, four miscarriages, two egg donors, mm-hmm. one reproductive immunologist with Dr. Braverman. And then my fifth pregnancy. So I think my fifth pregnancy was my daughter, who like all all in all in would be like a little over four years. And then that includes in three countries because I went to Israel as well to do IVF there. Oh my so gosh. That's, like my, that's, my long, that's my summary, my that's signature. That's your overview, right? Yeah.
1: So you chronicled everything for the New York Times and the Fertility Diary column, which was so good. Your writing is so good. And now it's all in the trying game. And the subtitle of the book is Get Through Fertility Treatment and Get Pregnant Without Losing Your Mind, which I think is captures it so well because... God damn, did I lose my mind?
2: (laughs) Right. I know someone asked me the other day, how how do you not lose your mind? I'm like, well, that's a hefty promise. I know, right? (laughs) But I think that's what's so
1: great about the book is, you know, you're just so open and you're funny and there's a lot of research and, you know, it kind of covers all the different aspects of it. And it's just so great. So again, like congrats on such a huge accomplishment. So can we break down the story? Like that was the overview, but I'd love to hear some of the details.
2: After my second miscarriage, we went to a fertility clinic, which was like everything kind of went wrong after my second miscarriage because I didn't know at the time, I didn't realize what it meant that I had miscarried a genetically normal baby. Mm Mm-hmm and then we went to a clinic in New York City who just like said oh it's because you know you don't take enough folic acid because you have mthfr which is not at all true it's not why i miscarried but i didn't know any of this and we went to we went to we went to the clinic which i was about to name but will not okay. um, and they sent us on the the whole wheel of IUI, IUF, IVF. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the right path for me. And that's one of the reasons that I wrote this book is because I feel like I made a lot of mistakes, not my own fault, not by my own fault, but I made a lot of mistakes. And I want people to not make the same mistakes I did. And, you mm-hmm. know, I can't get them pregnant. I don't have that power, but I want to like empower people with the right questions to ask and just, not, you know, avoid the same mistakes I did. Because that clinic, we went to IUI there and, um, we started IUIs and it didn't work. And then we moved to another clinic for IVF. And then it took me like a into the next year when my IVF doctor was like, I had, then I had um, in my first round in, in my IUIs, I probably had a chemical pregnancy somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in IVF, like I don't even count the chemical pregnancies, you know, like when your HGZ comes back at like eight or 10 and you're hopeful for like two days. And then it doesn't, you know, I didn't even count those. And then it was in the middle of my IVF with my other doctor. He's like, you know, your first pregnancy was genetically normal. And I'm like, okay. He's like, meaning it wasn't caused by your age. But, you know, that's what they tell you when you're 41. Oh, it's Mm -hmm. your age, it's your age, it's your age, which I I can't even tell you the amount of anger that I have at that first clinic who Mm -hmm. I didn't even need IVF. You know, I was getting pregnant, no problem. And I just wasn't holding on to the pregnancy. Yeah. So we did about three or four rounds in the States. And we always had this plan. Like we had kind of, we shaped a plan. Like, okay, we'll do three or four IEYs. Then we'll do three or four IVFs. My husband is Israeli and IVF is free for citizens in Israel. If you're mm-hmm. like for your first two kids, mm-hmm. if you're under forty five, and he just wanted to go to Israel right away, and I didn't. I really thought it was going to work. I mean, you know, if you read my columns, mm-hmm. they mostly are filled with optimism because I was sure it was going to work at some right. point. I just had to hang in there. And we did like three or four rounds in in New York with another miscarriage, mm. and then we moved to we went to Israel to do IVF with genetic testing of the embryos, which by the way, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I, I did it because I thought that, I thought that my problem with miscarriages was that my embryos were no good, which, um, but I'm not saying that I give a rubber, I'm not recommending genetic testing necessarily. That's just what we did. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Well, well, because, you know, they kept telling you it's my age and the only way to, you know, you get to a certain point in an IVF where like in repeat miscarriage, where it's like, You definitely want to have a baby, but you definitely don't want to have another miscarriage again. Mm -hmm. And at the time that was like being touted as the, or what I knew, that's what they were telling me was like, if you test embryos, you could find the chromosomally normal ones and then you won't have any more miscarriages. Mm. So that was, you know, now we're much further down the line with PGT and we know a lot of people do genetically test their embryos and it still doesn't work and people still have miscarriages. Mm We know there's other things going on down there, but like back, you know, it was only four or five years ago. No, it was seven years ago, Mm -hmm. which is yeah. You and I were going, we were going through this at the same time, right? Exactly, our kids are the same age. Mm -hmm. So I wish I
1: knew you back then. Oh
2: my god, I I wish I had this book. I didn't know anybody. I just had the random people on the New York Times commenting board. That's it.
1: Right, and I wish I had this book too. Like I would have given anything. So I'm so glad it's out now for people who are in it now.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I also wish yeah. So we went to Israel and we did some version of genetic testing of the embryos. I don't even know if it was the same level as is today. And they didn't find they found no chromosomally normal embryos after four rounds of IVF. And then I decided to move on to donor egg and then I had a miscarriage with the donor egg. Mm. And that's kind of like when my world was like the whole thing fell apart because Was like, oh, you were telling me my whole, you were telling me it was my eggs and it was my age, and you were telling me it was my eggs. And we had this like plan B or C or D or whatever plan you're up to. And I did the donor eggs and I still miscarried. So you guys don't know what you're talking about. Right. And so what was
1: going on? Did they ever, were they ever able to like put their finger on exactly why you kept having the miscarriages?
2: So I finally found an expert, which is really what I recommend to anyone who goes through repeat miscarriages and not to stay with a standard IVF doctor. Okay. I finally, you know, it just took like one Google search. I was in Israel and I did one Google like repeat miscarriage and I got to a website called Repeat Miscarriage, which mm-hmm. was Dr. Braverman's website. And mm-hmm. he sounds like I'm promoting him, but he actually, unfortunately, died a year, like a couple of years. He died after my daughter was born. So I'm, mm-hmm. not, even, I'm not even promoting him necessarily, but mm-hmm. he has dealt for years. He was like the leader in the field of repeat miscarriage and repeat implantation failure. And he's, theory, you know, the theory of reproductive immunology is similar to like someone who, does heart transplants or liver transplants that the body has to tolerate. Sometimes the body treats the embryo as a foreign foreign object and just expels it. So just like someone who has a heart transplant or liver transplant has to have their immunity, they have to have it not suppressed, but regulated. Mm, okay. And it's a very controversial field. And most people in IVF don't quote unquote, believe in it, even though interesting, I became very close with Dr. Braverman because just as a reporter, you know, he was telling me that all these doctors who would be sending him patients, but they'd be saying, Oh no, I can't put it on my website. I can't tell anyone that I sent you my patients, but I'm sending you this patient. So like you'd have people at Cornell sending him people without admitting to it, kind of like a secret thing, you know? Mm. So, and, um, the treatment is not easy, and I didn't think it was going to work. I just was like, you know, whatever. But it was, you know, I had to take a lot of steroids, and that's really not pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to take steroids, and I had to take blood centers, but the steroids, I had to take them until 20 weeks. So that's pretty unpleasant. How did it affect but, you physically well, or like mentally? I once, I once said to Dr. Raven, like, Oh my God, I want to kill my husband once, at least like once a day. He's like, once a day? That's good. (laughs) Because there's something called roid rage. Oh, right. right. So it gave like the, I wish I would have written my book then because I had like, I couldn't sleep. I had so much, you know, you're up at like three in the morning and you have like, sometimes I, I mean, it was, it's a crazy feeling, but it's really like, it's a crazy thing. But, you know, pregnancy, when it's your fifth pregnancy, it's just really, Besides for the steroids it 's just a really traumatic time because you know you think you 're going to lose it, you don 't think you 're going to carry it the whole time right
1: yes, yes, you never able are able to relax that's no you're never able
2: to and you know that 's my last chapter of the book is like you know pregnancy and motherhood after infertility and miscarriage and i can only i can I can talk about infertility and miscarriage i don 't necessarily know the feeling of just plain infertility, no miscarriage, like mm-hmm. maybe some women who never experience pregnancy and their baby is their first pregnancy have a different feeling. Like maybe they get to be regular pregnant people. Like, oh my right. God, I'm pregnant. Right, right. Um, yeah, so he, his partner, Dr. Vidali, still continues and there are a few other reproductive immunologists out there. But I always just tell people if you have like a couple of miscarriages and they're genetically normal or if they were with genetically tested embryos, you should really look for additional treatment.
1: Right. So it's a reproductive immunologist as opposed to a reproductive endocrinologist. Is that what most people... Okay. Yeah.
2: And they are reproductive endocrinologists as well, but they call themselves reproductive immunologists. And they have a lot of overlap with regular immunologists because they're um, they're in the field and they're looking at those kind of, like I just saw um, Dr. Raverman's partner, Dr. Ridelli. I don't know if he wrote it or was quoted in like an article about COVID-19 immunity and what it means because, mm. so it's not only for people who have had miscarriages, but if you have like, if you have an underlying immunological condition that you know about like Hashimoto's mm-hmm. or diabetes or, you know, uh, probably colitis. I don't, I'm not an expert in the field. Mm-hmm. But if you know that you have a, a rheumato- you know, rheum- rheumatology, if you know that you have an immunological condition, you know, IVF doctors are very quick to say, oh, that's not going to affect anything. That's not going to affect anything because you know they're bypassing a lot of systems like they're bypassing our basically a reproductive systems they're taking you know so they think that um, but if you have an underlying condition and you're not getting pregnant it's really it's really worth it to see you know someone who deals with you know your thyroid or something like that if you have those kind of conditions it's really worth checking into even if your regular fertility doctor says oh no that won't that won't impact anything
1: okay Good to know. I think that that's huge information to put out there. So thank you for doing that. Does it affect Asher? Do you know
2: anything about Asherman's yeah, syndrome? Yeah, so Asherman's is of course one of them. Okay, yeah, because I've talked to. A couple I remember people. I have a whole list, um, which I basically just copied from Dr. Berman's site. Yeah, uh, yeah, Asherman's for sure.
1: Okay, good to know. Good to know. So, can you tell me a little bit more about? So, once you finally did get pregnant, you know, obviously you're doing the steroids, and did you say blood thinners as well?
2: I was doing Nupagin, which is some like a white blood cell medication. I was doing, yeah, heparin, um, alovinox, and then switched to heparin at the end. Uh And I was doing the steroids. And I also did intralipids, which is like an infusion. It's like a fatty cell infusion. I did it a few times because... There are a lot of reproductive immunologists out there, but there's not a lot. There's like a handful. But one of the things that I liked about Dr. Raymond is he was monitoring me through 20 weeks. So he was like upping my steroids. He wasn't just... Mm -hmm. One of the problems today is like people have been so anti the immunology... But now they just like throw, they're like, oh, well, maybe we should try this. Maybe we should try that. But they don't really know. Like, like I was with Dr. Braverman and I say this for anyone, if you have a specific case, like whether it's a repeat miscarriage or, you know, you're like, see the clinic that treats the people like yourself. Like if there's an expert in someone who, someone who has an expert in endometriosis or an expert in treating younger patients or Mm -hmm. someone, you know, like, Dr. Gleischer in New York City has had the pregnancy with the 48-year-old and the 49-year-old, you know, and you're the outlier, then see the person who deals with the outliers. Right.
1: Exactly. So were you, what happened after 20 weeks? Did you kind of graduate from that and like stop doing all the steroids and stuff or, and were you ever able to kind of exhale or were you just like on pins and needles the rest of the time?
2: Well, I was with a high risk OB at the same, starting at like 12 weeks, I was still at the high risk OB overlapping with Dr. Braverman. Mm -hmm. And I had like, I think my second trimester, you know, we went on a baby moon. It was even before Zika, believe it or not. It's so funny. You remember that, right? Like you could still go to to Mexico. Right. Remember when you used to be able to travel? (laughs) Exactly. Remember when you used to be able to leave your house? Right. Right. We went to a baby moon in like... uh, It's so funny because we went to Cancun and then we went to all the cenotes, which are those like water sinkholes, which are like probably mosquito and pandemic infected right now, you know? Oh my God. I had a home heartbeat monitor and my rule was that I can use it once a day only. Mm -hmm. And then there was this weird, so, you know, the home heartbeat monitor, you're supposed to spread some like lube or jelly on your belly before you know to help that's what the doctor does at the ultrasound office and my husband was always like oh you don't need it and then he would like try to like find the heartbeat and I would always panic mm-hmm. you know like that was my highlight on my day so I don't think I was I think I was also like at a bit of a remove and Dr. Raymond said this to me because he knows people who had far more miscarriages than I did it was like until you have the baby in your arms you're just not going to be happy like mm-hmm. you're just not So I think I enjoyed it, but I wasn't like I couldn't go all in, you know, bonding with baby and all that. Did you do like a baby shower? No, but I wouldn't have done a baby shower anyway because like I'm from a religious family. So it's too much of a superstition. They don't do baby showers. Okay. Okay. I did. The only thing I did and a lot of people don't do this. I mean, I'm not religious now, but it's just we don't do baby showers. Mm -hmm. I did decorate the room beforehand, like a month beforehand, mm-hmm. but just because we needed to build a wall in our apartment. okay. So, and my husband's like, well, let's just wait. I'm like, no, I don't want to wait. But it was like, it was a little bit of a schizophrenic. Like, yes, I'm pregnant. Look at my belly, but like, uh, keep your fingers crossed. So I don't think I really did exhale.
1: Yeah. I love what you say. And you wrote a whole article about like the waiting room. Can we talk about that a little bit when you're going for treatments? Like, you had such a great take on it. So I'll let you say in your own words, but tell me about that.
2: Yeah, it was nice. Um, yeah, Mother Well ex- excerpted it and we could link to it. Um, just, you know, you go to the waiting room, no one's talking. And me, I don't know how other people feel, but I'm just imagining everybody else and I'm comparing myself to them like younger than me, thinner than me, prettier mm-hmm. than me, richer than me. Mm-hmm. And then. So, and I get it, you know, So, a doctor asked me the other day on a podcast, like, oh, what on an Instagram live, how can I make my waiting room better that people will talk to each other? And I'm like, I don't know that it's, this. I mean, you know, I could tell you how to make your waiting room better for sure, but I don't know. We're all so nervous when we go there. Either you're just starting out and you're like, don't know what to expect, or you get in there and you've been there forever and you're just so annoyed, or you're waiting for an egg retrieval count, or you're waiting for your transfer. So, you know, we most people are not going to be like best buddies with people. Because no, I had
1: no interest. It wasn't that I didn't want to like look at anybody or I was trying to hide. I was just like, I don't want to talk to any of these, these people. I'm like about to throw up.
2: Right, exactly. And But I would also, you know, like you get annoyed at the woman in the waiting room who has... A kid running around and like, why the hell are you here? You know, yeah. you get, you I mean you didn't, but I, you know, why right. are you here? Totally I get annoyed, you know, at the woman who's like so young, like, oh my god, you have all the time in the world. Yeah, and you know, I, I wanted to include. I didn't have a way to include. I wanted to include those people's stories in the book because they often get short shrift and you know, like a lot of times people think, Oh my God, infertility is just for rich old women who spent too long on their careers. Right. You know. Right. That's the thought. And yeah. then you go to the beginning room and you see that's not true. And then I'm talking to people and I know it's not true because, you know, you imagine that everyone else somehow has the secret and even, you know, forget your friends who already had kids and had no trouble or it was an accident. But then, you know, like The woman who's young and infertile, first of all, I think if you look at the statistics, almost half the people doing IVF are under 35. So it's not true that all the women are like career-oriented women who waited too long. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you speak to, I have a friend who still doesn't have a baby. She started, and I met her through this, I guess. She started at 25 and she's been doing this for 10 years. Oh my God. And she still doesn't have a baby. And, you know, Oh yeah, sure. It's great when you're twenty five and but it doesn't feel great when the doctor tells you, Oh, don't worry, you're young, you have time because mm-hmm. like her thinking was also like, Oh, then there really is something wrong with me. Like you can't blame it on my age, you know, is there mm-hmm. something wrong with me. And then meanwhile, you know, you're wasting your down payment on your house and you're wasting your youth on this. At least for someone like me who got married at forty one, I might have wasted my youth, but it wasn't on like infertility, if that makes sense. <laughs> Okay. And, you know, I didn't also, I didn't start late because I was like some big career woman. I just hadn't, I wasn't ready for marriage and I hadn't met the right person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's all these, you know, oh, it's the old rich woman or white, it's the old rich white woman or something right. or moneyed or upper class woman. And there's so many young women who have infertility and... yeah it's really hard for them too. And there's also, you know, women who have kids, it's not easy to have one or two kids and one another. Yeah, maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's easier for, you know, it's even like during Corona and we were talking about this offline, but like, no one is harder. This one is harder. That's harder. That's hard. You know, it's not, a, I like to say, it's not a pain Olympics.
1: No, exactly. And what's yeah. that phrase about comparison is the thief of joy. Okay. Like, Oh, is that true? Okay. You can't compare your grief to somebody else's, I feel like. it's everybody's When you're in the
2: waiting room, right, and someone's running around with a kid, you're like, oh my God, lady, at least you have one. But, right, you know, for the woman, like I spoke to um, journalist Alyssa Strauss for my book, and she only had secondary infertility. And for those people, it's a shock too, because like you think you're going to have three kids and then all of a sudden you're hit with this diagnosis when... It's just as hard. I mean, Yeah,
1: I went through secondary infertility, yeah.
2: Right. It's not just as hard because, like even she said, it's not as hard as like not having any kid because I'm still a mom. But she's like, just like you dreamed of having one kid, I dreamed of having two. Mm -hmm. So, right, comparison, it's hard. And also, you know, then you have to deal with, as you know, you have to deal with childcare and that whole piece. Right. You have to deal with exhaustion. So... But I yeah. always said to myself before I started and I said, you know, I'd like to have two, but if I have one and the I'm not going to put in the same Herculean efforts that I did mm-hmm. for the second. Right. And I put in any actually and I don't have another, but um, yeah. So it's a secondary infertility is hard. And then you see these women in the waiting room and you don't know what they're going through. There's some women who have deadly diseases who can't be genetic carriers. And that's a different kind of hard because, you know, as one woman said to me, and that's after she just said, well, like, it's crazy because I could just get pregnant naturally and I have to invest into all this so not to pass on a disease. Right. So it's all crazy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing with secondary infertility is you feel a lot of guilt because there, there is that thing where people are like, well, at least you have one kid. But what you're trying to explain to people is like, I'm not being greedy. I promise. I just like, for me it was like i just loved being a mom so much and i wanted to do it again you know and it was it was coming from a place of love not a place of greed you know and i think a lot of people had a hard time understanding that like i did have someone at one point say to me like why don't you just stop you already have a kid you know and it was so hurtful cuz they didn't understand
2: it's so mean and you know speaking of like in the beginning when this all happened right before my book launch week i just posted something on facebook i said I was supposed to have a really big month and I'm just going to have one moment of sadness because it's not the way I wanted. Please don't tell me the at least. Like yeah. I know at least I could do Zoom recordings. I know I could do podcasts. Right. Like don't give me the at least. And still people gave me the at least. Like at oh, least it will be over and you will can still sell your book and it will still be timely. At least, at least, at least. I mean, and that's the same thing with a miscarriage. Oh, at least you can get pregnant or... That at least is like people have an inability to sit with pain. Mm-hmm. So they're always telling us, like, oh, you can always adopt, at least you can adapt. You know, at least you can adopt. And it's like, right, like that's so easy. Right. Like, please give me $150,000 in four more years. Like, I have a friend right now, even during this, she just told me her fourth adoption fell through. Mm -hmm. And she has one kid, you know, speak of guilt. She had a kid and she couldn't, she's not allowed to get pregnant again. So she decided to adopt. She was always interested in adoption, and she has supported four birth mothers, basically, Mm -hmm. who are taking back their kids. And then people tell her, well, isn't it better that they take back their kids? And she's like, no, these kids are going to end up in the system anyway. Like People don't have an ability to sit with pain, I think. And other wow. everybody wants to
1: fix something or give you an answer. And sometimes you're like, I'm not looking for advice. I'm just sad. And I want you to like, let me be sad.
2: Exactly. And you know, you want, you wanted another kid and you should have another kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, you know, when I say get through fertility treatment without losing your mind, someone said to me, how, how can I do that? And I, I I think it's like to honor, you know, like not only have the woman in the waiting room, but I have the whole chapter on baby envy. And like how to deal with the mean thoughts. Yep. And I think we just don't accept that infertility is a disease and it's a trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's a trauma not only on your body, but it's a trauma on your emotions and on your marriage and on your finances. Mm -hmm. And we all just need to be like, cut yourself a break. Yeah. Do you have PTSD from it? I think that's probably why I didn't, you know, I kept saying I was going to try to do it again. And I just didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm in this world and I'm talking about it all the time. And I did want another kid, but I just definitely didn't want to go through it again. I mean, repeat loss, it's not not only the repeat loss, which for me was, you know, the real hard part, but just putting your life on hold, putting, you know, like I have a whole chapter on perseverance. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think some of it is asking questions that I really want to know the answer to. Like in the chapter on perseverance, I spoke to this woman who went through 23 rounds of IVF. Oh, my God. And it was low dose. Three of the... Oh, first of all, let me just say they were all covered by insurance. Wow. And... She did three, I think, at Columbia and then 20 at New Hope, but they were all like natural or low dose. Mm-hmm. But she did back to back retrievals for three years straight. And then mm-hmm. she tested her five embryos and had a baby at 45. Mm-hmm. So, like, you listen to that story and you're like, oh my God, did I not do enough? Mm, right. You know, like, but again, it's like you can't compare. You can't compare. And also, A, I didn't have that kind of insurance. And B, right. you know, what I learned from that chapter was about resilience, you know, perseverance is just keep going and keep going and keep going. But resilience is actually managing to take, take into account what's going on mm-hmm. and make your decisions for that moment. So, right. You know, I was in Israel. I had had my fourth miscarriage with a donor. I, I'm sorry. I was in Israel before I moved on to donor eggs. The doctor said to me, she said, I'm not going to tell you that you have a 0% chance but I'm going to say it's under 1%. And I'm willing to do more if you want. I'm willing to do more IVF, but it's your decision. And I just never thought I would get to the point where I would say yes to donor eggs. I never thought I would. Mm-hmm. I thought I would just keep going and going and going like that woman with the 20 things. But I was I had been in Israel for almost a year. I just wanted to go home already. I just wanted mm-hmm. to be pregnant. I just wanted to have a baby. I just wanted to end my journey. So I made the best decision that I could at the time for myself. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that's, you know, you start this journey in one place and you end in another, like what you think. And that's true with anything in life. You know, you start a marriage and you're all in love and dewy but you don't know what's going to happen to you 20 years later.
1: Right. Yeah. I had a therapist who was, you know, saying that one of the hardest parts about things not going your way is just like the expectations of how your life was supposed to be. And you're like grieving almost like what you had dreamed would happen. And that's one of the really hard parts about this is like you said, it, it often doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go and letting go of how you thought it was going to be sometimes frees you up to like, let things happen a different way. It's all about like the perspective. And that really helped me.
2: That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, um, so just, did you end up using well, donor egg for Lily? I did. It was, okay. it was after my immunology, but I don't, the, like, I and Dr. Braverman asked me if I wanted to go back to using my own eggs because I think I was only I was still 43 and I just I just wanted to be pregnant and I didn't go back but I don't I know it was the immunology not the donor egg part that worked right okay gotcha but it's you know and I'm not it's not cavalier it's obviously a good decision but a a big decision but I had made that decision you know like from my for that pregnancy before her so I just was ready to yeah
1: Right. I think another important point too is like, in terms of choices and doing what's best for yourself. Like, I want to put out there too that I think it's also okay to stop trying. You know, like as women, we don't give ourselves that option often too. So, you know, I've talked to people that went through years and years and then decided to not, you know, keep going and don't have kids, and that's their that's their happy ending. You know, so
2: for sure. I mean, I have that chapter: life after no baby. Exactly. I mean, the thing that's weird, I guess the thing for me that I was learning in that chapter is stopping trying, you know, we all want to take breaks and we all want to stop, but in order to really stop is you have to come to the terms with like that you might have a child free life. Right. That, once I started, that wasn't something I personally wanted to do. Like I was on the, but I know that, I know that plenty of people for some people are happy with their decision. Some of the people said it was like there were different points in life that it was still another trauma.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I love like, that you covered it. And I just love that I think this book is really empowering for women. You know, it's it's got so much good information and you know, covering everything from like freezing your eggs to all the acupuncture and supplements. And you know, you answer a lot of questions. So I just want to thank you again for writing it and for putting it out into the world and I will link to it and all that stuff. But, thank you
2: um, for all you do, yeah.
1: Of, of course. Is there anything else that you would like to add or anybody listen, like any advice or just like kind of broad strokes for anybody who might be listening that's like going through, that's like in the thick of it right now?
2: Well, you know, if you're listening to this while Corona's happening, then, you know, my heart's definitely goes out to those people who have to either stop treatment or deal Mm -hmm. with, you know, under masks or get pregnant or have a miscarriage, God forbid, while this is going on. So my heart definitely goes out to you. But, um, I think the most important thing, and I hate this, like, I kind of hate the word Mm self-care. So I'm going to change the word to like selfish. Okay. Like it's okay to be selfish now and it's okay to be selfish when you're going through infertility because it's a lot. You have to devote a lot of your time, a lot of your life and whatever works for you is the way that you should get through it. So mm-hmm. if that means like not being on social media, you know, not being on Instagram, you know, binge watching Grey's Anatomy, go mm-hmm. for it, you know, like be, be, selfish in that way that you protect yourself and your partner if you have one and your other kid if you have one but it's i and i think that's what we're learning right now too is like you know you're boiling it down to your absolutely you know you don't have a choice to be to be with your family right now but like you know it's okay to narrow yourself down and hunker down for the situation
0: hey again guys thank you so much for listening to my conversation with amy and amy thank you so much for hiding out in a closet and doing that interview with me i love talking to you guys make sure you check out her book called the trying game and also if you haven't yet and you feel like writing and you want to do a review of infertile af you can always go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you find your podcast, write a review and give it a rating and mainly that just gives us a lot more recognition and word of mouth and just gets us in a lot more ear balls. So, thanks so much. Love you all and talk to you next time.